What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, and I'm alongside you here on the evening of Tuesday, August 3rd, as the John Lester experience is not off to the most robust start. Welcome into the show. The game that we'll be discussing tonight, the Cardinals lost to the Atlanta Braves. Final score, 6-1. to one. And I feel like we just did this podcast once over the weekend when the Cardinals got thumped by the Twins. The game where they gave up a bunch of runs early and that was all she wrote because the offense didn't show up. Does that sound familiar? Because that's what it was tonight on Tuesday as the Cardinals fall 6-1. to one. John Lester gives up five runs in the first inning. The first seven batters of his Cardinals career reach base against the veteran left-hander. Five runs come around to score in the first. Thank God he got that double play because I don't know how much worse it could have gotten and I don't think Cardinals fans wanted to find out. Got a double play that helped him escape the first inning. Gives up a long bomb to Freddie Freeman in the second. From there, John Lester settled in. Did find a way to get through five innings, which honestly, it's maybe a pessimistic point of view and maybe disappointing to hear. But getting through five innings, pretty much all the Cardinals front office maybe had in mind when they signed John, or I should say traded for John Lester, giving up Lane Thomas to do so. I saw a little bit of hullabaloo on Twitter as well that Lane Thomas went two for four at Rochester, a minor league affiliate for the Nationals, on Tuesday night just to add a little bit of insult to injury or vice versa, injury to insult, because the insult was there. Cardinals fans were not loving, you know, There's no reason to mince words about it. Cardinals fans did not dig the team's movement at the deadline. We knew y'all weren't excited about the two pitchers they added. And stick around a little bit longer in the show because I teased it on the Anchor preview, and I believe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, it should show up everywhere, Spotify as well. The preview of the bold fantasy baseball decision I'll be making on Wednesday night. But in the case of Lester... Look, the Cardinals didn't want Oviedo, and they didn't want Woodford. They didn't want these guys to be in the Major League rotation anymore, especially in the case of Oviedo, who I think has a ceiling as a starter. He's got a potentially bright future, not to say that Woodford doesn't, but I think that the Cardinals recognize Oviedo's raw ability. If he's able to harness that on a consistent basis, he could end up being a weapon out of the rotation in the future for the Cardinals. But I think to be able to get him to that point... They want him developing in Memphis. They don't want him to have to go through this development on the fly at the major league level when it's pretty clear that he's just not quite ready yet to be able to do it consistently up here. And so in John Lester, in Jay Happ, the Cardinals go out and target two veteran starters, two guys whose acquisition costs were virtually nothing, and John Gant and Lane Thomas. And they said, well, if nothing else, we're going to run these guys out there for the next couple of weeks and get some innings. If it doesn't go well, maybe it ends up being short tenures on the team for these two, especially if you get Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis back. We did get a chance to talk to Jack Flaherty before today's game. He was at Bush Stadium following a recent rehab assignment, and I believe his next assignment should be coming soon. Nothing official from the Cardinals yet. It's pretty clear, though, talking to Jack Flaherty, he is ready to be back. From a mental standpoint, he said he's getting a little impatient. He wants to be back 
pitching for the Cardinals at the big league level, understands the steps you got to go through as part of the rehab to get to that point where you're able to throw a major league workload, 90 to 100 pitches. He's not quite there yet, but he's working his way back and said he wasn't sure where that next outing could come. I'm sure in his mind he'd rather throw his 80 pitches at St. Louis in five days rather than do it again in the minors, whether that's Memphis or Springfield. He was asked whether he thought it was a possibility it could come in St. Louis. He said he didn't know. He doesn't really want to put any pressure or put the team in an uncomfortable position by making a a claim or making a statement about where he believes that should come. He's leaving it up to the team, but it's pretty clear he wants to be back, feels healthy, said just building up that arm strength is something that he's been working on, you know, tinkering with some pitches like his breaking balls, making sure those feel good and where they ought to be. That's kind of where he's at in this stage of his rehab, but you could see Jack Flaherty sooner rather than later. I wouldn't go out on the limb and predict that his next outing will be in St. Louis. I think one more is all he's going to need, though, so it could be within the next 10 to 12 days that Flaherty returns, and I could be wrong on that. It might be two more rehab outings, but it's clear he would would like to do whatever he can to fast-track it, which means, and Michaelis had another rehab game tonight, pitched four-plus innings, got up to 67 pitches. His target was 65 on Tuesday. I believe that came with the Springfield Cardinals and had Daniel Ponce de Leon relieving him. So both those guys trying to work their way back to St. Louis. For Michaelis, it was four and two-thirds innings, four hits, one walk, three Ks, and just one run allowed. Ponce, not quite as good, but he interestingly gets the win. Ponce goes an inning and two-thirds, gives up three earned runs, but because Michaelis fell one out short of getting to qualify for the win, and Springfield already had a big lead at that point, both guys pitching at Springfield, by the way, because Memphis is on the road, and it's just easier from a travel perspective to be able to pitch in the home ballpark, and so that's why they made that trip down to Springfield, Mo. But... Ponce giving up those three runs, I guess, gets the win by default. It doesn't seem like the... I, I, I always thought it was the official scorer had discretion to be able to award it to the most effective and impactful reliever when the starter doesn't go five. Typically, it seems like if, you, if you've got a big lead early, they don't really care what happens. So when Ponce gives up, he gives up a homer, gives up three runs, gets the win because he was the next guy to come out. Johan Quezada had an inning and two-thirds that were scoreless. And then an individual whose name I could not pronounce if I tried, Boziakovic is what I'm going to go with. He had a scoreless inning as well for Springfield tonight. But Michaelis is the upshot. That's the guy to track because 67 pitches to me, again, I think if it weren't for the fact that you had Lester and Happ and you were willing to see what those guys were looking at, you could honestly make an argument that Michaelis' next outing should be in St. Louis. Pitching pretty well, working his way back to health. And if he throws 67 pitches tonight, 43 of which were strikes, so he seems to have command of his pitches. If the next outing is supposed to be, what, 80 to 85, maybe they'd bump him up to, that could come in St. Louis. But I think the Cardinals are maybe content to get a look at the guys they have. If it goes badly for Hap tomorrow, maybe you look at it and think a little differently. But if they hadn't made those trades, I think it would be a little bit of a different calculus because of maybe how desperate they were to try to come off of Oviedo and maybe Woodford as well after his last very tough outing where he gave up seven runs. And so the fact that you have Lester, it wasn't great tonight, but that's kind of where I say these guys are on a trial basis with 
Lester and Hap because if it doesn't go well and say they both get two starts, then the Cardinals could be in an interesting situation where they say, well, nothing much ventured, nothing gained. We're going to we're gonna drop either or both of these guys. Because if you think about it, I don't see Lester or Hap really going to the bullpen, right? Like if you, let's say health stays the same for everybody in the rotation. Michaelis and Flaherty are back in 10 to 12 days, call it two weeks. Who gets replaced and where do they go? Like if it's the new guys both getting shipped out, do they go to the bullpen? Do they not be on the team anymore, like just three weeks after being acquired? That would be a little strange. But I think the Cardinals feel that maybe they could afford to do that if it doesn't go well. They don't have to have a super long leash on the situation because they didn't give up a whole lot. And they were just hoping for a little bit of depth to stem the tide, to be able to keep them in games to the best of their ability to cover innings. Because at the end of the day, the innings don't stop. You have to pitch nine of them, and one way or another, they've got to get done. So even if you don't consider yourselves a contender, at least you've got innings and you can get them covered without getting people hurt. Bring in these two mercenaries, and that can be part of it. So I'm interested to see where the Cardinals go on both Michaelis and Flaherty. We'll probably get some more clarity on Flaherty within the next couple of days. A little bit of something to monitor maybe with Kwon Young Kim. Mike Schultz said it's nothing to read into the fact that KK not pitching in this Atlanta Braves series this week, and he would not commit as of Tuesday pregame to KK starting the leadoff in the series against the Kansas City Royals over the weekend. That would be Friday. So we'll see. If there's any smoke there with, with a potential issue with KK, I imagine by Wednesday we'll know. But it's also very possible that Mike Schilt just wants to get his P's and Q's in order before announcing anything officially, and KK will be your leadoff man in that Royal Series over the weekend at Bush. But just something to keep an eye on, keep your ears out for, just to see what the rotation lines up for as of the weekend. Part of that, too, could be maybe they do think Michaelis could be part of that mix as early as the weekend, and so they want to kind of you know keep their options open until they have to make a decision. Again, Flaherty theoretically could also be in that discussion, but I don't know how quickly the Cardinals are going to want to move. At the end of the day, they bring in John Lester. He gives you five innings. They weren't knock him down awesome innings. He did settle in pretty nicely and gets you through the next three frames scoreless to get you through five. And that was it. And at that point, that's really what you needed from him because this wasn't a winnable game. And it's unfortunate, but we got another kind of night where you asked Mike Schilt, you know, what do you think happened with the offense? He said, well, the other guy was really good. Max Fried, he was throwing the ball well, which that's fine. But I think, and I continue to think this, and talked about it over the weekend when the Cardinals lost that clunker to the Twins, when they give up runs early, they just don't feel like they're in the game. And it's kind of understandable to, to have it go that way sometimes, but you would like to see them be able to chip away. And the Cardinals don't seem to very often be able to chip away, and then they get one run in the ninth, and then it's like, well, they they, they fought in valiantly. No, not really. And, again, you can say it was Max Freed, but he only pitched five innings, six innings, which, you know, he was not very efficient through four, and to be able to get through six just tells me they kind of rolled over a little bit against him. And seven Ks, four hits, my fantasy team wasn't complaining because I had him in one of my leagues, but I don't know, I just... I think you, you, you can find ways to, to grind through at-bats, and Cardinals didn't have that kind of grind 
tonight. And then against the bullpen, you know, they get they get some hits together, four hits in three innings. That's okay, and they score the one run. But you only take one walk as a team. Your eight hits, they were scattered, and you didn't really do anything with them. It never felt like imminently the Cardinals were about to have a rally. Even in the ninth inning when they scored their run, there was two instances of defensive indifference where the catcher didn't bother to stop the guy from taking second base because it was a blowout and they needed one more out. You get a base hit to score that run. Yachty driving in a run tonight. Tyler O'Neill was 3-for-3 three three with a walk. That's the bright spot offensively in addition to Yachty's 2-for-4. Because we had talked about yesterday, O'Neill kind of starting to be on a little bit of a slump. And, and you looked at his numbers over the course of the last month where he's got a 660 OPS. Last two and a half weeks was even worse than that, down to like 530 range. And so good to see O'Neill be able to hit the ball well, get on base four times. Cardinals are going to need him. He was in the five hole tonight. I kind of like this alignment of the lineup a little bit, but I think you lose something at the top. You, when you're facing a lefty, Tommy Edmond was the leadoff man tonight. He didn't get anything done, but typically has better numbers against lefties. And so I feel like that lengthens you out a little more with Carlson, two, Goldsmith, three, Arenado, four, O'Neill down at five. Yachty batting six because I feel like contractually he can't go any lower than that. Bader and Sosa rounding out the top eight. You don't have a whole lot of punch off the bench. You saw Rondon and Newt Bar tonight. Rondon did get a base hit in his opportunity, but just not a whole lot to talk about there as far as the bench uh, ability to contribute this season. But I, I do kind of like that lineup a little better, but I just don't think you can bat Edmund leadoff against righties and against the lefty tonight. It didn't fare any better. So we'll see if that continues to go. Mike Schilt was asked about it before the game, and he pretty much said, yeah, I mean, this is what you should expect against lefties. We're going we're gonna to move Edmund up, back up to the leadoff spot because he kills lefties. That's what he says every time, kills lefties. Didn't kill him tonight, but uh, good to see as the lone bright spot for Tyler O'Neill offensively got to get Goldschmidt and Arenado going I think that's really like you hate to to pin it on those guys because they're two of your better hitters even underperforming their own expectations their numbers are still among your better hitters for the season but you look at the Cardinals offense as a whole we talked about the 680 OPS for DeYoung, Sosa, Edmund, Yachty like that's four guys and really I'm just talking three positions in the lineup because typically those guys, whether whatever the order the middle infield is, you're getting second base, shortstop, and your catcher. Three out of your eight daily spots in the lineup, you're at 670 to 680 for OPS. That's not very impactful, so you're kind of playing from behind a little bit there. The outfield has been better. The outfield, as they had it constructed in their in their minds and the way they designed it coming into the year, was to have O'Neill, Bader, Carlson. And you look at their numbers, 750 OPS for Carlson. He's up higher in the lineup. O'Neill at 840. Believe right there behind Bader, who's still at 847 with a one for four tonight, but three strikeouts. So we've seen him come back down to earth a little bit. Still giving you good defense. Speaking of good defense, I'm pretty sure I saw Wade LeBlanc rob a batting practice home run from Edmundo Sosa today before the game on the field. I'm like, who is that jumping out there? Over the scaling the center field wall, I'm pretty sure it had to have been. I was trying to talk with Zach Silver, and he said, I think that's who that was. I don't know if he saw the play, but he saw him kind of running back to the other group of pitchers out there. The discussion was, should he really, you know, can you really do that? Take a homer away from your guy during batting practice? I said, if you're a pitcher, absolutely, because you can have all your buddies out there 
showing off and say, look what I just did. I think that's an obvious play. So I, I this might just be like hearsay. I don't know that it actually happened. I saw the play happen. I'm pretty sure it was Wade LeBlanc, but I, you know, from a distance, my eyes, I have good eyesight, but I was just telling everybody today, I'm like, out there, when they're wearing their pregame shirts and the numbers are on the sleeve instead of on the back, I can't freaking tell who's who. So that's my downfall as a as a baseball writer, I guess. One of many, I'm sure. But anyway, Harrison Bader doing the good defense, had the offensive output going for a while, taking a step back a little bit. But you you look at the outfield now that they're they're getting to roll out the guys they wanted. That's a decent group with OPSs, two of two of them above 800, one of them at 750. And Carlson, we've talked about how he's begun to come around a little bit, playing more consistently, getting more consistent at bats at the plate. So that's a decent group offensively. There's no, you know, O'Neal before was a legit standout offensive player and Bader's had his moments. I wouldn't say there's any superstar performances, but two really solid performances and another one in Carlson, that's not bad. Like, you you can totally live with that. But that leaves the corner infield, the two anchor spots of the lineup that you're really putting your eggs into those baskets to have those guys be your superstar caliber players. And neither of them really have been. They've both been pretty good. They've been, like I said, better than most of the players on the team. But Goldschmidt starting to cool off a little bit more. And Arenado, uh, while the OPS still at 810, uh, another 0 for tonight, just hasn't really kind of been able to click it together. And we've, it seems like we've been talking about all year. Just wait until both Goldie and Arenado get healthy, or I should say start punishing the baseball at the same time. We've had a couple of games where they've both homered in the same game. But just imagine, like, them going on a collective tear for 10 to 12 days, what that could do for the Cardinals. We just haven't seen it. And I, like I said, I hate to put it all on their shoulders when kind of evaluating the lineup, but when you look at it from that perspective, your middle infield has been pretty light hitting on the whole. Yachty has come back down to earth, and so you've got three guys in the 600s for OPS. Your outfield now looks pretty solid, but you haven't had that for the full season because of injuries. And that just leaves the guys on the corners who they've been healthy the whole year, but they just have not produced the kinds of numbers that I think Cardinals fans and certainly Cardinals front office might have expected them to do coming into this season when they envisioned what this roster and how this offense could function. So you hate to you hate to put a little bit of pressure on the guys that are, are still going out there and, and both of them sterling defensively and even the offensive numbers are not terrible, but they're just, I would say, a little bit underwhelming from what you would consider the anchor spots in the lineup. And so when you look at, okay, why do the Cardinals have these these games in these days where it sometimes happens in multiple times in a week where they they just aren't very competitive in games offensively, you know, I think you can tie some of that back to just a little bit of underwhelming efforts from the key spots in the lineup, and that was the case tonight with an 0-for-8 from Goldie and Arnato. Again, they're having fine seasons, but you just feel like there's maybe a little bit more in the tank that you hope they can empty out over the course of the next seven or eight weeks before the end of the season. Looking ahead, though, to where the Cardinals are coming into Wednesday night's game against the Braves. Now, we just had this John Lester experience. We can all agree it didn't go great. Cardinals now 53-53. and 53. They're back at 500. Atlanta just a half game behind that now after the win. Tomorrow, the Cardinals face off against the lefty, Drew Smiley, so we'll see if that sticks for Mike Schilt after Edmonds Ofer. Will he be right back in there in the leadoff spot, going with the strength of what his season has looked like. We'll see what that ends up being for the Cardinals. But the Cardinals are going to counter with a lefty of their own. The uh, second part of the two-headed monster that the Cardinals acquired 
last Friday at the trade deadline, J.A. Happ. And here's where I am. I don't have any rhyme or reason for this, but I was looking at my fantasy baseball roster, and Garrett Cole apparently tested positive for COVID, and so I thought, all right, i got to put him on the I.L., might as well pick up a starting pitcher for Wednesday because it's a points league and anytime, you know, a guy could even go five innings, give up four runs, but maybe if he strikes out six, you still get a positive recording of a of a day for your, your lineup. So you'd take it. You know, the only way it really goes south is if they give up a bunch of hits and walks, good number of runs, and they don't strike anybody out and they don't cover innings. You're kinda you can go negative, like significantly negative. But I was looking at the options that are available in my league. Some dude named Paolo Espino. I've never heard of this guy. He's a pitcher for the Washington Nationals, I guess, kind of taking the place in the rotation of Scherzer or Lester, I guess. I mean, the the Nats lost two starters. And so this dude, Espino, is 34 years old, has had a little bit of experience in the big leagues the last couple of years. But I was looking at this guy. I'm like, I've never heard of him. I don't. I don't understand. He's got decent numbers on the year, but I wasn't too in, in, enthused by just one good start that he's had lately. So I'm looking up and down the list. I'm like, there's nobody to pick up. But I would like to take advantage of a blank spot on my roster since I put somebody on the injured list and maybe score some points for my lineup on Wednesday. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start Jay Hap. Picked him up. Put him in my lineup. Before, and this is all before I go to bed on Tuesday, so maybe I'll wake up Wednesday and feel differently. But I think I'm going to roll with it. Going to put Jay Happ out there because sometimes you got to zig when people expect you to zag. And look, basically if the Cardinals get a clunker out of Lester and a clunker out of Happ, everybody will be able to say the deadline was exactly what they thought it was, a, a clunker of a deadline with a couple of moves that didn't make any sense for pitchers who have been really struggling. And, like, again – the fantasy implications on this, I'm like jostling for a playoff spot in this league. So it's a little bit risky. Hap's got a 6-7-7 ERA on the year, 77 strikeouts. So I'm kind of holding my holding my hope that he'll maybe get some Ks here. But he's also not a huge strikeout guy. His last few outings, 4-4-2 four, four, and two in his most recent when he gave up nine runs, 10 hits, and three innings for a negative 24 output for your fantasy lineup. So... I'm playing with fire here, but I think I'm going to roll with it to have a little bit of fun. Let me know what you think on Twitter at bshafer12. I tweeted it out and said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to roll with J.A. Happ. But let me know if you think that's a good idea, bad idea, crazy idea, or just downright insane. We'll see what ends up happening with Happ on Wednesday. But, I mean, you know it seems like a nice guy? He's a guy who's had some experience. He's He was an all-star as recently as 2018, so he's done it before. Could the change of scenery really be all he needs? I don't know. The dude's been getting hit pretty hard. He's given up a lot of hits. I talked about it. And, like, this that's what's so crazy. Like, if I had listened to the podcast on Friday when I talked about Hap and I looked up his numbers, 9.22 ERA in July, OPS for his opponents of 10-11. So that's, like, just north of 1,000. Not good. There's, like, three hitters in Major League Baseball that have a better OPS for the season. You're talking Tatis. Vladimir Guerrero, Shohei Otani. Like, those were the three when the Cardinals acquired him on Friday. So, it's not great when every hitter you face suddenly becomes Shohei Otani for the year. Uh, You're not doing exactly what you set out to do as a pitcher. But listen, I'm going with my gut. There's literally no reason. I have no analysis for this. I think maybe he could get five innings, three runs, strike out five, 
walk a couple, give up six or seven hits. That's probably even that probably wouldn't be a great fantasy outcome. But I think he's going to be in the positive in my in my league settings for tomorrow night. So if I'm wrong, we'll definitely break down exactly what he did for my fantasy team on Wednesday, just so you can keep track of this little gamble I've made with myself. I think it makes things kind of fun, makes it interesting. So we'll see what Hap looks like tomorrow night. Cardinals taking on Drew Smiley. Uh, they're going to have to score more runs regardless if they want to win the game. Offense was just flat tonight, and so we'll see what they can do on Wednesday after another rough showing Tuesday. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate y'all, as always, for listening to the show. Make sure you subscribe to the pod if you haven't done so before. If this is your first time listening, I don't know why you'd start after a game like this, but credit to you. Like I'm happy you're here. But you can go to Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and sign up and subscribe to B-Shape Daily. We'd love to have you on board for the rest of the season. The Cardinals do have this winnable August that we've been talking about recently on the podcast, and now it's time for the rubber to meet the road. Can they actually do anything about it? We're going to see as the rest of this month unfolds, and we'd love to have you uh, along with us as it unfolds on B-Shape Daily. Thank you all so much once again, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace!